think at the end of the day, you have to keep people interested. And that's that's, yeah. that's what, what it all comes back down to. It's definitely not the tool. So like the first thing that people usually do is, I need a tool to build a community. <laughs> Just don't do that. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring you stories from fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. In this episode, we have Rosie Sherry, who is the community building expert, which makes her a perfect guest for the sponsor of this very episode, Weekend Club. Weekend Club is a community of indie hackers that meet up online every Saturday for deep working sessions to get our tasks done. It's a community that I've been a part of from the very beginning and has made a huge impact on my indie hacking journey. If you've ever struggled meeting other solo founders and staying accountable, then this is for you. For 50% off your first month, go to weekendclub.co and enter IndieBytes as your code. Let's get on with the episode. Rosie Sherry is a community builder, indie hacker and founder. She currently runs the Indie Hackers community and also a weekly newsletter where she talks about building communities. Previously, Rosie founded Ministry of Testing. Rosie, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks, James. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Talk me through how you got into indie hacking and building businesses and what was your first business you started i started ministry of testing let's say as a side project in 2007 i was a software tester at the time and it was just like a a side project i I didn't really expect it to turn into anything but i kept plugging away at it it was like an online forum community using ning which was like a no code as you would call it these days hosted forum and i just kept working at it and like after three years it was just like i guess the best place for software testers to hang out yeah so you you said you started in 2007 and went full-time in 2010 so how how did you start to generate revenue for for those three years and was it i suppose it wasn't really a quick thing to get to the point where you could leave your job how slow was it and how did you persevere with, with with pushing through the community yeah, I didn't really have a job at the time, to be honest. Like I was helping my husband with some stuff and I, I tried uh, starting a co-working space as well, which took up a lot of my time and never made me any money. But 2010 was like the, the turning point for me where I had gained enough traction on the project. But I was a tester. I was a tester since 2000. So I knew the market. I'd spent three years building a community. I'd studied everything there was around testing. And I say this to people a lot when they want to start a community is that you have to know the people you're serving. And I knew them and they knew me. And I was in just a strong position to to try some ideas out. And my idea was just to do events because I felt there weren't like any good events for software testers out there. So I think 2011 was the first you know, I did that every year for the first three or four years. I did a conference every year, and then each year I just added more onto it. And then the first year I had a conference in spring, and then in the autumn I would try smaller events just to keep a calendar happening. And I guess, like, after three years of doing that, I was making a pretty good income. Mm. And how were you generating revenue? Was it sponsors? Were people paying you to be a part of the community? Yeah, to begin with, it was mostly ticket sales, to be honest. Uh, We did do some sponsorship for the events, but we were pretty strict on what the sponsors were allowed to do, as in we didn't have exhibition booths or stands or things like that. We didn't want that to be the vibe of, of the events. And as a consequence, not many people wanted to sponsor. I was willing to sacrifice the money for the positive experience of of the community. So yeah, ticket sales, a bit of sponsorship. And then I guess around 
2013, 2014, I, I made a fair bit money just from advertising a bit on the website and doing some email sponsorship of a newsletter that I'd started and that did quite well for, for a while and I guess I did that before most people were doing it I was a bit ahead of the game and I managed to reap the, the rewards of that I guess. And how much money is Ministry of Testing and earning now, 13 years on from starting it? Six months ago, it was about, I don't know, 1.3, 1.4 million pounds. Now it's probably about half of that because of obviously we did a lot of in real life events. We've been hit quite hard with that, but I think it'll be all right. We've shifted a lot more online. I spent a little bit of time recently just trying to help the CEO figure out the direction that the company needs to take. But apart from that, I, I'm not really involved. I stepped back almost two years ago now. Yeah, so, since you stepped back from Ministry of Test and you do a few things, one of which is helping Cortland or running the indie hackers community. What's it been like going from one side of it as a member of the community to, to running it? What sort of differences have you seen there? Yeah, in some aspects, I say what I like about indie hackers is that it was quite similar to to Ministry of Test in the sense of the vibe, the culture, a very positive place and people want to help each other out. There's not a lot of negativity around the community. In other aspects, Ministry of Test in it has to make money. So that's actually a huge effort to, to make money. It gets complicated, basically, trying to run a business with money. Indie Hackers doesn't have to do that. It doesn't make money. It's funded by Stripe. And yes, I really appreciate that because I've been on the other side of things and I know how difficult it can be and how much energy can go into launching projects and trying to make money. And there's none of that for indie hackers. So it's just really nice from a community building perspective is that I can focus right in on, on trying to do the best I can with kind of what I have rather than trying to focus in on making money targets and uh, from the other side you, you see a lot of people posting stuff some good some not so good what can indie hackers do to make the most out of indie hackers as a platform so what would you say they could do yeah it's tough because so, some of the best posts are really self-promotional posts like harry dry has done really well from that but the way he does them is really engaging and educational drew riley does the same with trends at VC. His posts always get a lot of likes and upvotes and comments at the moment. But ultimately, that what he's posting is self-promotional, but it's useful content that kind of aligns with what indie hackers want. But then on the flip side, of the, the, the challenge is that there's a lot of people just trying to do similar, not doing it very well, or just posting really boring stuff. And I think that's the most challenging thing at the moment for indie hackers is that there's, there's too much of that and i guess i'll call it selfish posts it's like they come they drop a link and then they go in the hope that they might get a few clicks or a bit of engagement but the best posts are always the ones that are educational so you know i would say as indie hackers post something that you know teaches someone about something and post less about your own stuff and try to kind of balance it out with things that you find are interesting things that you've stumbled across if we can all post interesting things that we find then all of a sudden that will make indie hackers 100x more useful to everyone. 
Yeah, less selfish self-promotion, more helpful, interesting educational content. You write some of your own content, Rosie, with your newsletter. Tell me a little bit more about Rosieland and why you started that and how that's doing in terms of revenue. Yeah, so Rosieland, I started just because I wanted to write about community. And it was actually Indie Hacker who recommended the domain name to me. And I've always mentioned Rosieland like in... in previous writing that you know it's like rosy lines like that crazy space in my head that i just get lost do uh, crazy stuff <laughs> initially it was just like a blog but i never really got into the habit of writing but what i did do to begin was was create a newsletter and the idea behind the newsletter was to create links every week once a week to share with the newsletter so every week i would research what people were talking about in the community world I would just gather it up and send it. It was really slow to begin with. Like the first six months, I've publicly said that it's, I had 100 subscribers. And, and most people would like give up if, I guess, that they were to look at their results. But for me, it was more about the process of getting involved with the community building world. I hadn't had the time to do that. For me, it was like I wanted that commitment to, to show up every week and, and share something. And mm. I kind of knew that if I kept doing that, then it would help me get known more in the community building world and in the tech world and stuff. And it's worked. So like first six months, it was sucky. But after that, it just kept doubling every couple of months. And then a couple of months ago, I decided to make it paid and was frustrated because... It's really hard managing the indie hacker community and not indie hacking myself. So I'd like look at what everyone was doing. I was like, damn, I, I really want to be doing something and I'm not doing anything and I've seen all these people do things. So I was like, oh, all right, I'm just going to do it. I want to write. I've been wanting to write properly for, for years. I've never done it. So if I go pay, then I'll have to write because uh, people are paying me to write. Uh, and to be honest, I've written so much in my life. <laughs> so I've shown up every week. I've written at least one article every week in addition to the curation newsletter that I've done. 10 days ago, I was at 10k annual recurring revenue, and I've just hit 15k annual recurring revenue. That's amazing. How many subscribers is that for? How many do you have? 90. 90 paid subscribers and about a 1000 free ones. So you know a lot about building communities. How do you build a community? What sort of what goes into it? Oh, yeah, it's definitely not the tool. So like the first thing that people usually do is I need a tool to build a community. (laughs) And I'd always recommend not just don't do that the term i use these days is to study your people so like when i built up ministry of testing i studied my people i was a tester i spent three years building that community and i knew everyone that was out there if you look at indie hackers as an example Cortland studied the ecosystem he he, he was in tech himself he he, he had a good kind of mm. indication of what people wanted and People were wanting certain kind of stories of talking openly about businesses. If we look at Rosieland, I've, I've basically spent the past 10 months studying my people by writing newsletters and connecting with, with people and joining little side communities to just really understand what people want. If you want to start a community, if that's the right thing, then you'll get a feeling of what the right thing is to do rather than just jumping into a tool straight away. And how do you cultivate community once you start to get members and build it? How do you keep it engaged and growing? 
it's a hard one. I think it's you know it's, it's going to be different for for everyone, and I think that's the hard thing is that people want answers for that kind of stuff, but there are no simple answers, and each community is different. And you know, like Charlie Ward, he's got a very different community that shows up every Saturday doing kind of online co-working sessions. So the things that he'll need to do to make that happen will be is very different from what I need to do for Rosyland or what Monica needs to do for blogging for devs. It's completely different things but i think at the end of the day you have to keep people interested and that's that's, yeah. that's what, what it all comes back down to if you can't keep people coming back and keep them interested then you've got no chance at all to build anything i, I wanted to quickly talk about something get your views on something that my friend christina rightfully brought up what sort of advice would you give to female and indie hackers or bootstrappers entrepreneurs trying to build their businesses and also what can male indie hackers do to be more inclusive Yes, it's a tough one. I struggle. I've said on multiple occasions that me stepping up to do the Indie Hackers community filled me with a bit of fear because I was going to be surrounded by men most of the time and I felt a bit <laughs> inadequate. Uh, and to be honest, I really don't know what the answer is. For me, I just try to be myself and I try to take pleasure in, in, in the way I do things. And I think I would ask men to step up and to take a step back and try not to be so dominant and in people's faces mm. and stuff like that. But I'm not sure if that's the right advice either because that brings in success and you can't deny anyone should have success. But definitely like just, you know, being more mindful about women and, and what we want and how we feel. But society definitely has a way of rewarding the loudest. And I think I think that's a bit unfortunate. But yeah, I don't know. I wish everyone could open their eyes a bit more and, and figure out ways to help each other out. We'll end with a few quick fire questions. First one, best book for indie hackers, would you say? Uh, best book? I don't know. Derek Sivers. Generally, he's, he's a nice guy. He talks a lot of common sense. And I think he's got anything you want as a book. Yeah, anything you want. And I think like indie hackers need to realise that actually building a business isn't that hard and there's there's no set rules. And it's mostly about philosophies of how you approach stuff. Perfect. A favorite podcast? I, I used to listen to a few, but I only listen to Indie Hackers at the moment. So, yeah. Well, one, of my, one of my favorite <laughs> out there. Cortland is exceptional interviewing. Best female indie hacker to follow slash who you inspired by? Yeah, I, I struggle with this because I don't like signing up to the whole influencer must follow certain people. I like what Monica Lent is trying to do with blogging for devs. And I guess there's Christina P as well. She's trying to do some community stuff. Charlie Ward probably as well. I know he's not a woman, but he's, you know, all these people that I'm mentioning are community people. But, you know, he's trying to do something different and so, something new. So, you know, it'd be cool if he could make it work for himself. Definitely. Fantastic way to end. Rosie, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Indie Bites. If you did enjoy this episode, I'd love you to share the episode with just one indie hacker that will find it useful. It does help the podcast grow. As always, you'll find links for everything discussed in the episode in the show notes. That's all from me. Enjoy the rest of your day.